Chapter 5 of A Short Account of the History of Mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a reading by Paul King, pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A Short Account of the History of Mathematics by W. W. Rouseball. Chapter 5. The Second Alexandrian School, 30 B.C. to 641 A.D. I concluded the last chapter by stating that the first school of Alexandria may be said to have come to an end at about the same time as the country lost its nominal independence. But although the schools of Alexandria suffered from the disturbances which affected the whole Roman world in the transition, in fact, if not in name, from a republic to empire, there was no break of continuity. The teaching in the university was never abandoned, and as soon as order was again established, students began once more to flock to Alexandria. This time of confusion was, however, contemporaneous with a change in the prevalent attitudes of philosophy, which thenceforward were mostly Neoplatonic and Neopythagorean, and it therefore fitly marks the commencement of a new period. These mystical opinions reacted on the mathematical school, and this may partially account for the paucity of good work. Though Greek influence was still predominant and the Greek language was always used, Alexandria now became the intellectual centre for most of the Mediterranean nations which were subject to Rome. It should be added, however, that the direct connection with it of many of the mathematicians of this time is at least doubtful, but their knowledge was ultimately obtained from the Alexandrian teachers, and they are usually described as of the second Alexandrian school. Such mathematics, as were taught at Rome, were derived from Greek sources, and we may therefore consider their extent in connection with this chapter. The first century after Christ. There is no doubt that throughout the first century after Christ, geometry continued to be that subject in science to which most attention was devoted. But by this time it was evident that the geometry of Archimedes and Apollonius was not capable of much further extension, and such geometrical treatises as were produced consisted mostly of commentaries on the writings of the great mathematicians of a preceding age. In this century the only original works of any ability were two, by Cyrenius and one by Menelaus. Cyrenius, Menelaus those by Cyrenius of Antissa, circa 70, were on the plane sections of the cone and cylinder. These were edited by Edmund Halley, Oxford, 1710. That by Menelaus of Alexandria, circa 98, was on spherical trigonometry, investigated in the Euclidean method. This was translated by E. Halley, Oxford, 1758. The fundamental theorem on which the subject is based is the relation between the six segments of the sides of a spherical triangle formed by the arc of a great circle which cuts them. Book 3, Proposition 1. 
Menelaus, who also wrote on the calculation of chords, i.e. on plane trigonometry, this is lost. Nicomachus, a Jew, who was born at Gerasa in 50 and died circa 110, published an arithmetic, which, the Latin translation of it, remained for a thousand years a standard authority on the subject. The work has been edited by R. Hosch Liebzig, 1866. Geometrical demonstrations are here abandoned, and the work is a mere classification of the results then known, with numerical illustrations, the evidence of the truth of the propositions enunciated, for I cannot call them proofs, being in general an introduction from numerical instances. The object of the book is the study of the properties of numbers, and particularly of their ratios. Nicomachus commences with the usual distinctions between even, odd, prime, and perfect numbers. He next discusses fractions in a somewhat clumsy manner, and then turns to polygonal and to solid numbers, and finally treats of ratio, proportion, and the progressions. Arithmetic of this kind is usually termed Boethian, and the work of Boethius on it was a recognized textbook in the Middle Ages. The second century after Christ. Theon. Another arithmetic on much the same lines as that of Nicomachus was produced by Theon of Smyrna circa 130, but it was even less scientific than that of Nicomachus. It was edited by J. J. de Gelder, Leiden, 1827, and by E. Hiller, Leipzig, 1878. Theon also wrote a work on astronomy, which was edited by T. H. Martin, Paris, 1849. Thimeridus. Another mathematician of about the same date was Thimeridus, who is worthy of notice from the fact that he is the earliest known writer who explicitly enunciated an algebraical theorem. He stated that if the sum of any number of quantities be given, and also the sum of every pair which contains one of them, then this quantity is equal to one n minus tooth part of the difference between the sum of these pairs and the first given sum. Thus, if x1 plus x2 plus x3 and so on plus x sub n equals s, and if x1 plus x2 equals x2, x1 plus x3 equals s3, and x1 plus xn equals sn, then x1 equals s2 plus s3 plus and so on to sn minus big s divided by n minus 2. He does not seem to have used a symbol to denote the unknown quantity, but he always represented it by the same word, which is an approximation to symbolism. Ptolemy about the same time as these writers, Ptolemy of Alexandria, who died in 168, produced his great work on astronomy, which will preserve his name as long as the history of science endures. This treatise is usually known as the Almagest. The name is derived from the Arabic title of al michisti which is said to be a corruption of Meitis Syntaxis. The work is found on the writings of Hipparchus, and though it did not sensibly advance the history of the subject, it prevents the views of the older writer with a completeness and elegance which will always make it a standard treatise.
we gather from it that Ptolemy made observations at Alexandria from the years 125 to 150. He, however, was but an indifferent practical astronomer, and the observations of Hipparchus are generally more accurate than those of his expounder. The work is divided into thirteen books. In the first book, Ptolemy discusses the various preliminary matters, treats of trigonometry, plane and spherical, gives a table of chords, i.e. the natural signs, which is substantially correct and is probably taken from the lost work of Hipparchus, and explains the obliquity of the ecliptic. In this book, he uses degrees, minutes, and seconds as measures of angles. The second book is devoted chiefly to phenomena depending on the spherical form of the earth. He remarks that the explanations would be much simplified if the earth was supposed to rotate on its axis once a day, but points out that this hypothesis is inconsistent with known facts. In the third book he explains the motion of the sun round the earth by means of eccentrics and epicycles. In the fourth and fifth books he treats the motion of the moon in a similar way. The sixth book is devoted to the theory of eclipses, and in it he gives three degrees eight minutes and thirty seconds, that is, three and seventeen one hundred and twentieths, as the approximate value of pi which is equivalent to taking it equal to 3.1416. The seventh and eighth books contain a catalogue of 1,022 fixed stars determined by indicating those three or more that are in the same straight line. This was probably copied from Hipparchus. And another work, Ptolemy added a list of annual sidereal phenomena. The remaining books are given up to the theory of the planets. This work is a splendid testimony to the ability of its author. It became at once the standard authority on astronomy and remained so till Copernicus and Kepler shewed that the sun and not the earth must be regarded as the center of the solar system. The idea of eccentrics and epicycles on which the theories of Hipparchus and Ptolemy are based have been often ridiculed in modern times. No doubt at a later time when more accurate observations have been made, the necessity of introducing epicycle on epicycle in order to bring the theory into accordance with the facts made it very complicated. But de Morgan has acutely observed that in so far as the ancient astronomers supposed that it was necessary to resolve every celestial motion into a series of uniform circular motions, and they erred greatly, but that if the hypothesis be regarded as a convenient way of expressing known facts, it is not only legitimate, but convenient. It was as good a theory as with their instruments and knowledge it was possible to frame and in fact it exactly corresponds to the expression of a given function as a sum of sines or cosines, a method which is of frequent use in modern analysis. In spite of the trouble taken by Delambre, it is almost impossible to separate the results due to Hipparchus from those due to Ptolemy. But Delambre and de Morgan agree in thinking that the observations quoted, the fundamental ideas, and the explanation of the apparent solar motion are due to Hipparchus, while all the detailed explanations and calculations of the lunar planetary motions are wholly due to Ptolemy. 
the almagest shews that ptolemy was a geometrician of the first rank though it was with the application of geometry to astronomy that he is chiefly concerned he was however the author of numerous other treatises most of which were on pure mathematics amongst these treatises is one on pure geometry in which he proposed to cancel the twelfth axiom of euclid on parallel lines and to prove it in the following manner let the straight line efgh meet the two straight lines ab and cd so as to make the sum of the angles bfg and fgd equal to two right angles it is required to prove that ab and cd are parallel if possible let them not be parallel then they will meet when produced say at m or n but the angle afg is the supplement of bfg and therefore equal to fgd similarly the angle fgc is equal to the angle bfg hence the sum of the angles afg and fgc is equal to two right angles and the lines b a and d c will therefore if produced meet at n or m but two straight lines cannot enclose a space and therefore a b and c d cannot meet when produced that is they are parallel conversely if a b and c d be parallel then a f and c g are not less parallel than f b and g d and therefore whatever be the sum of the angles a f g and f g c such also must be the sum of the angles f g d and b f g but the sum of the four angles is equal to four right angles and therefore the sum of the angles b f g and f g d must be equal to two right angles Ptolemy wrote another work to shew that there could not be more than three dimensions in space. He also discussed orthographic and stereographic projections with special reference to the construction of sundials. He wrote on geography and stated that the length of one degree of latitude is 500 stadia. A book on optics and another on sound are sometimes attributed to him, but their authenticity is doubtful the third century after christ pappus ptolemy had shewn not only that geometry could be applied to astronomy but it indicated how new methods of analysis like trigonometry might thence be developed he found however no successors to take up the work he had commenced so brilliantly and we must look forward a hundred and fifty years before we find another geometrician of any eminence that geometrician was pappus who lived and taught at Alexandria about the end of the third century. We know that he had numerous pupils, and it is probable that he temporarily revived an interest in the study of geometry. Pappus wrote several books, but the only one which has come down to us is his Synagogie, a collection of mathematical papers arranged in eight books, which the first and part of the second have been lost it has been published by f hulch berlin's eighteen seventy six to eighteen seventy eight this collection was intended to be a synopsis of greek mathematics together with comments on additional propositions by the editor a careful comparison of various extant works with the account given of them in this book shews that it is trustworthy and we rely largely on it for our knowledge of other work now lost 
it is not arranged chronologically but all the treatises on the same subject are grouped together and it is most likely that it gives roughly the order in which the classical authors were read at alexandria probably the first book which is now lost was on arithmetic the next four books deal with geometry exclusive of conic sections the sixth with astronomy including as subsidiary subjects optics and trigonometry the seventh with analysis conics and porisms and the eighth with mechanics the last two books contain a good deal of original work by pappus at the same time it should be remarked that in two or three cases he has been detected in appropriating proofs from earlier authors and it is possible he may have done this in other cases subject to the suspicion we may say that he discovered the focus in the parabola and the directrix in the conic sections but in both cases he investigated only a few isolated properties the earliest comprehensive account of the foci was given by kepler and of the directrix by newton and boscovich in mechanics he shewed that the centre of mass of a triangular lamina is the same as that of an inscribed triangular lamina whose vertices divide each of the sides of the original triangle in the same ratio he also discovered the two theorems on the surface and volume of a solid of revolution which are still quoted in textbooks under his name these are that the volume generated by the revolution of a curve about an axis is equal to the product of the area of the curve and the length of the path described by its center of mass and the surface is equal to the product of the perimeter of the curve and the length of the path described by its center of mass pappus's best work is geometry as an illustration of his power i may mention that he solved book seven proposition 107 the problem to inscribe in a given circle a triangle whose sides produced shall pass through three collinear points this question was in the eighteenth century generalized by kramer by supposing that the three given points to be anywhere and was considered a difficult problem it was sent in 1742 as a challenge to Castillon, and in 1776 he published a solution. Lagrange, Euler, Lullier, Fuss, and Lexel also gave solutions in 1780. A few years later, the problem was set to a Neapolitan lad, Ottaliano, who was only sixteen but had shewn marked mathematical ability and he extended it to the case of a polygon of n sides which passed through n given points and gave a solution both simple and elegant poncelet extended it to conics of any species and subject to other restrictions the problem just mentioned is but a sample of many brilliant but isolated theorems which were enunciated by pappus his work as a whole and his comments shew that he was a ge geometrician of great power but it was his misfortune to live at a time when but little interest was taken in geometry and when the subject as then treated had been practically exhausted possibly a small tract on multiplication and division of sexagesimal fractions which would seem to have been written about this time is due to pappus it was edited by c henry hall eighteen seventy nine and is valuable as an illustration of practical greek arithmetic 
the fourth century after Christ. Throughout the second and third centuries, that is, from the time of Nicomachus, interest in geometry had steadily decreased, and more and more attention had been paid to the theory of numbers, though the results were in no way commensurate with the time devoted to the subject. It will be remembered that Euclid used lines as symbols for any magnitudes and investigated a number of theorems about numbers in a strictly scientific manner, but he confined himself to cases where a geometrical representation was possible. There are indications in the works of Archimedes that he was prepared to carry the subject much further. He introduced numbers into his geometrical discussions and divided lines by lines, but he was fully occupied by other researches and had no time to devote to arithmetic. Hero abandoned the geometrical representation of numbers, but he, Nicomachus, and other later writers on arithmetic did not succeed in creating any other symbolism for numbers in general, and thus when they enunciated a theorem they were content to verify it by a large number of numerical examples. They doubtless knew how to solve a quadratic equation with numerical coefficients, for, as pointed out above, geometrical solutions of the equation ax squared minus bx plus c equals zero and ax squared plus bx minus c equals zero are given in euclid six twenty eight and twenty nine but probably this represented their highest attainment it would seem then that in spite of the time given to its study arithmetic and algebra had not made any sensible advance since the time of archimedes the problem of this kind which excited most interest in the third century may be illustrated from a collection of questions printed in the palatine anthology which was made by metrodorus at the beginning of the next century about three ten some of them are due to the editor but some are an anterior date and they fairly illustrate the way in which arithmetic was leading up to algebraical methods the following are typical examples four pipes discharge into a cistern one fills it in one day another in two days the third in three days the fourth in four days if all run together how soon will they fill the cistern Democharis has lived a fourth of his life as a boy, a fifth as a youth, a third as a man, and has spent thirteen years in his dotage. How old is he? Make a crown of gold, copper, tin, and iron weighing sixty minae. Gold and copper shall be two-thirds of it, and gold and tin three-fourths of it, and gold and iron three-fifths of it find the weights of the gold copper and tin and iron which are required the last problem is a numerical illustration ephemeridus's theorem as quoted above the german commentators have pointed out that though these problems lead to simple equations they can be solved by geometrical methods the unknown quantity being represented by a line Dean Peacock has also remarked that they can be solved by the method used in similar cases by the Arabians and many by medieval writers. This method, usually known as the rule of false assumption, consists in assuming any number for the unknown quantity, and if on trial the given conditions be not satisfied, altering the number by a simple proportion as in the rule of three. For example, 
in the second problem suppose we assume that the age of democras is forty and then by given conditions he would have spent eight and two-thirds not thirteen years in his dotage and therefore we have the ratio of eight and two-thirds to thirteen equal to the ratio of forty to his actual age hence his actual age is sixty but the most recent writers on the subject think that the problems were solved by rhetorical algebra that is by a process of algebraical reasoning expressed in words and without the use of symbols this according to nesselmann is the first stage in the development of algebra and we find it used both by amaz and by the earliest arabian persian and italian algebraists examples of its use in the solution of a geometrical problem and in the rule for the solution of a quadratic equation are given later see below pages two o seven and two fourteen on this view then a rhetorical algebra has been gradually evolved by the greeks or was then in process of evolution its development was however very imperfect Hunkel, who is no unfriendly critic says the results attained as the net outcome of the work of six hundred years on the theory of numbers are whether we look at the form or the substance unimportant or even childish and not in any way the commencement of a science in the midst of this decaying interest in geometry and these feeble attempts at algebraic arithmetic a single algebraist of marked originality suddenly appeared who created what was practically a new science this was diophantus who introduced a system of abbreviation for those operations and quantities which constantly recur though using them he observed all the rules of grammatical syntax the resulting science is called by nesselmann a syncopated algebra it is a sort of shorthand broadly speaking it may be said that european algebra did not advance beyond this stage until the close of the sixteenth century modern algebra has progressed one stage further and is entirely symbolic that is it has a language of its own and a system of notation which has no obvious connection with the things represented while the operations are performed according to certain rules which are distinct from the laws of grammatical construction diophantus all that we know of diophantus is that he lived in alexandria and that most likely he was not a greek even the date of his career is uncertain but probably he flourished in the early half of the fourth century that is shortly after the death of pappus he was eighty-four when he died in the above sketch the lines on which algebra has developed i credited diophantus with the invention of syncopated algebra this is a point on which opinions differ and some writers believe that he only systematized the knowledge which was familiar to his contemporaries in support of this latter opinion it may be stated that cantor thinks that there are traces of the use of algebraic symbolism in pappus and that fredelein mentions a greek papyrus with the signs forward slash and curve symbol and are used for addition and subtraction respectively but no other direct evidence for the non-originality of diophantus has been produced and no ancient author gives any sanction to this view diophantus wrote a short essay on polygonal numbers a treatise on algebra which has come down to us in a mutilated condition and a work on porisms which is lost 
the polygonal numbers contains ten propositions and was probably his earliest work in this he abandons the empirical method of nicomachus and reverts to the old and classical system by which numbers are represented by lines a construction is if necessary made and a strictly deductive proof follows it may be noticed that in it he quotes propositions such as euclid two three and two eight referring to numbers and not to any magnitudes his chief work is arithmetic this is really a treatise on algebra algebraic symbols are used and the problems are treated analytically diophantus tacitly assumes as is done in nearly all modern algebra that the steps are reversible he applies this algebra to find solutions though frequently only particular ones of several problems involving numbers i propose to consider successively the notation the methods of analysis employed and the subject matter of this work first as to the notation diophantus always employed a symbol to represent the unknown quantity in his equations but as he had only one symbol he could never use more than one unknown at a time see however below page one o nine the unknown quantity is called oathmosh and is represented by sigma prime sigma omicron superscript prime it is usually printed as lower case sigma in the plural it is denoted by sigma sigma both lower case or sigma sigma superscript omicron iota this symbol may be a corruption of alpha superscript omicron or possibly it is an old hieratic symbol for the word heap see above page four or it may stand for the final sigma of the word the square of the unknown is called xenamis and denoted by lowercase delta superscript upsilon the cube cubos and denoted by kappa and so on up to the sixth power the coefficients of the unknown quantity and its powers are numbers and a numerical coefficient is written immediately after the quantity it multiplies an absolute term is regarded as a certain number of units or monaves which are represented by mu superscript omicron there is no sign for addition beyond mere juxtaposition subtraction is represented by an upside down psi and this symbol affects all the symbols that follow it equality is represented by iota thus you can represent an equation such as x cubed plus eight x minus five x squared plus one equals x diophantus also introduced a somewhat similar notation for fractions involving the unknown quantity but into the details of this i need not here enter it will be noticed that all these symbols are mere abbreviations for words and diophantus reasons out his proof writing these abbreviations in the middle of his text in most manuscripts there is a marginal summary in which the symbols alone are used and which is really symbolic algebra but probably this is the addition of some scribe of later times this introduction of a contraction or a symbol instead of a word to represent an unknown quantity marks a greater advance than anyone not acquainted with the subject would imagine 
and those who have never had the aid of some such abbreviated symbolism find it almost impossible to understand complicated algebraical processes it is likely enough that it might have been introduced earlier but for the unlucky system of numeration adopted by the greeks which they used all the letters of the alphabet to denote particular numbers and thus make it impossible to employ them to represent any number next as to the knowledge of algebraic methods shewn in the book diophantus commences with some definitions which include an explanation of his notation and in giving the symbols for minus he states that a subtraction multiplied by a subtraction gives an addition by this he means that the product of negative b and negative d in the expansion of a minus b multiplied by c minus d is positive b d but in applying the rule he always takes care that the numbers a b c d are so chosen that a is greater than b and c is greater than d the whole of the work itself or at least as much as is now extant is devoted to solving problems which lead to equations it contains the rules for solving a simple equation of the first degree and a binomial quadratic the rule for solving any quadratic equation is probably in one of the lost books but where the equation is of the form ax squared plus bx plus c equals zero he seems to have multiplied by a and then completed the square in much the same way as is now done when the roots are negative or irrational the equation is rejected as impossible and even when both roots are positive he never gives more than one always taking the positive value of the square root diophantus solves one cubic equation namely x cubed plus x equals four x squared plus four book six problem nineteen the greater part of the work is however given up to the indeterminate equations between two or three variables when the equation is between two variables then if it be of the first degree he assumes a suitable value for one variable and solves the equation for the other most of his equations are of the form of y squared equals a x squared plus b x plus c a b and c being capitalized Whenever capital A or capital C is present, he is able to solve them completely. When this is not the case, then if capital A equals little a squared, he assumes that y equals little ax plus m. If big C equals little c squared, he assumes y equals mx plus little c. And lastly, if the equation can be put into the form y squared equals ax plus or minus little b quantity squared plus little c, he assumes that y equals mx, where in each case he has some particular numerical value suitable to the problem under consideration. A few particular equations of a higher order occur, but in those he generally alters the problem so as to enable him to reduce the equations to one of the above forms the simultaneous indeterminate equations involving three variables or double equations as he calls them which he considers are of the forms y squared equals capital a x squared plus capital b x plus capital c and z squared equals little a times x squared plus little b times x plus little c if big a and little a both vanish he solves them in one or two ways it will be enough to give one of his methods which is as follows 
he subtracts and thus gets an equation of the form y squared minus z squared equals mx plus n hence if y plus or minus z equals lambda then y minus or plus z equals the quantity mx plus n close bracket divided by lambda and solving he finds y and z his treatment of the double equations of a higher order lacks generality and depends on the particular numerical conditions of the problem lastly as to the matter of the book the problems he attacks and the analysis he uses are so various that they cannot be described concisely and i have therefore selected five typical problems to illustrate his methods what seems to strike his critics most is the ingenuity with which he selects as his unknown some quantity which leads to equations such as he can solve and the artifices by which he finds numerical solutions of his equations i select the following as characteristic examples one find four numbers the sum of every arrangement three at a time being given say twenty two twenty four twenty seven and twenty book one problem seventeen let x be the sum of all four numbers hence the numbers are x minus twenty two x minus twenty four x minus twenty seven and x minus twenty therefore x equals x minus twenty two plus quantity x minus twenty four plus quantity x minus twenty seven plus quantity x minus twenty therefore x equals thirty one the numbers are nine seven four and eleven two divide a number such as thirteen which is the sum of two squares four and nine into two other squares that's book two problem ten he says that since the given squares are two squared and three squared he will take x plus two quantity squared and mx minus three quantity squared as the required squares and will assume m equals two therefore x plus two quantity squared plus two x minus three quantity squared equals thirteen therefore x equals eight fifths therefore the required squares are three hundred twenty four over twenty five and one twenty fifth three find two squares such as the sum of the product and either is a square book two problem twenty nine let x squared and y squared be the numbers then x squared y squared plus y squared and x squared y squared plus x squared are squares the first will be a square if x squared plus one be a square which he assumes may be taken equal to x minus two all squared hence x equals three quarters he has now to make nine sixteenths multiplied by the quantity y squared plus one a square to do this he assumes that nine y squared plus nine equals the quantity three y minus four all squared hence y equals seven over twenty four therefore the squares required are nine sixteenths and forty nine over five seventy six it will be recollected that diophantus had only one symbol for an unknown quantity and in this example he begins by calling the unknowns x squared and one 
but as soon as he had found x he then replaces the one by the symbol for the unknown quantity and it finds it in its turn four to find a rational right-angled triangle such that the line bisecting an acute angle is rational book six problem eighteen his solution is as follows let a b c be the triangle of which c is a right angle let the bisector a d equals five x and let d c equal three x hence a c equals four x now let b c be a multiple of three say three therefore b d equals three minus three x hence a b equals four minus four x by euclid six three hence four minus four x quantity squared equals three squared plus four x all squared euclid 147 therefore x equals 7 over 32 multiplying by 32 we get for the sides of the triangle 28 96 and 100 and for the bisector 35 number five a man buys x measures of wine some at eight drachme a measure the rest at five he pays for them a square number of drachmae such that if sixty be added to it the resulting number is x squared find the number he bought at each price that's book five problem thirty three well the price paid was x squared minus sixty hence eight x is greater than x squared minus sixty and five x is less than x squared minus sixty from this it follows that x must be greater than 11 and less than 12. Again, x squared minus 60 is to be a square. Suppose it is equal to x minus m quantity squared. Then x equals m squared plus 60, in brackets, divided by 2m. We have, therefore, 11 is less than the quantity m squared plus 60 divided by 2m is less than 12 therefore m is a number between 19 and 21 diophantus therefore assumes that m is equal to 20 which gives him x equals 11 and a half and makes the total cost i.e. x squared minus 60 equal to 72 and one quarter drachmae he has next to divide the cost into two parts which shall give the cost of the eight drachmae measures and the five drachmae measures respectively. Let the parts be y and z. Therefore, one-fifth z plus one-eighth multiplied by the quantity seventy-two and a quarter minus z equals eleven and a half. Therefore, z equals five times seventy-nine divided by twelve and y equals eight times fifty-nine divided by twelve therefore the number of five drachmae measures was seventy-nine twelfths and of eight drachmae measures was fifty-nine twelfths from the enunciation of this problem it would seem that the wine was of poor quality and m tannery has ingeniously suggested that the prices mentioned for such a wine are higher than were usual until after the end of the second century he therefore rejects the view which was formerly held that diophantus lived in that century but he does not seem to be aware that de morgan had previously shewn that this opinion was untenable m tannery inclines to think that diophantus lived half a century earlier than i had supposed i mentioned that diophantus wrote a third work entitled porisms 
the book is lost but we have the enunciations of some of the propositions and though we cannot tell whether they were rigorously proven by diophantus they confirm our opinion of his ability and sagacity it has been suggested that some of the theorems which he assumes in his arithmetic were proved in the porisms among the more striking of these results are the statements that the difference of two cubes can always be expressed as a sum of two cubes that no number of the form four n minus one can be expressed as a sum of two squares and that no number of the form eight n minus one or possibly twenty four n plus seven can be expressed as the sum of three squares to these we may perhaps add the proposition that any number can be expressed as a square or as a sum of two or three or four squares the writings of diophantus exercised no perceptible influence on greek mathematics but his arithmetic when translated into arabic in the tenth century influenced the arabian school and so indirectly affected the progress of european mathematics a copy of the work was discovered in fourteen sixty two he was translated into latin and published by zeilander in fifteen seventy five the translation excited general interest but by that time the european algebraists had on the whole advanced beyond the point at which diophantus had left off the names of two commentators will practically conclude the long roll of alexandrian mathematicians theon the first of these is theon of alexandria who flourished about three seventy he was not a mathematician of special note but we are indebted to him for an edition of Euclid's Elements and a commentary on the Almagest. The latter gives a great deal of miscellaneous information about the numerical methods used by the Greeks. It was translated with comments by M. Helma and published at Paris in 1821. Hypatia The other was Hypatia, the daughter of Theon she was more distinguished than her father and was the last alexandrian mathematician of any general reputation she wrote a commentary on the conics of apollonius and possibly some other works but nothing of hers is now extant she was murdered at the instigation of the christians in four fifteen the fate of hypatia may serve to remind us that the christians as soon as they became the dominant party in the state shewed themselves bitterly hostile to all forms of learning the very singleness of purpose which had at first so materially aided their progress developed into a one-sidedness which refused to see any good outside their own body those who did not actively assist them were persecuted and the manner in which they carried out on their war against the old schools of learning is pictured on the pages of kingsley's novel the final establishment of christianity in the east marks the end of the greek scientific schools though nominally they continued to exist for two hundred years more the athenian school in the fifth century the hostility of the eastern church to greek science is further illustrated by the fall of the later athenian school this school occupies but a small p space in our history 
ever since plato's time a certain number of professional mathematicians have lived at athens and about the year four twenty this school again acquired considerable reputation largely in consequence of the numerous students who after the murder of hypatia migrated there from alexandria its most celebrated members were proclus damasius and eutocius proclus proclus was born at constantinople in february four twelve and died at athens on april seventeenth four eighty five he wrote a commentary on euclid's elements of which that part which deals with the first book is extant and contains a great deal of valuable information on the history of greek mathematics he is verbose and dull but luckily he has preserved for us quotations from other and better authorities his commentary has been edited by g fredeline Leipzig, eighteen seventy three proclus has succeeded as the head of the school by marinus and marinus by isidorus Demasius, eutocius two pupils of isidorus who in their turn subsequently lectured at athens may be mentioned in passing Damasius of damascus circa four ninety added to euclid's elements a fifteenth book on the inscription of one regular solid in another eutocius circa five ten wrote commentaries on the first four books of the conics of apollonius and on various works of archimedes he also published some examples of practical greek arithmetic his works have never been edited though they would seem to deserve it this later athenian school was carried on under great difficulties owing to the opposition of the christians proculus for example was repeatedly threatened with death because he was a philosopher his remark after all my body does not matter it is the spirit that i shall take with me when i die which he made in to some students who had offered to defend him has often been quoted the christians after several ineffectual attempts at last got a decree from justinian in five twenty nine that heathen learning should no longer be studied at athens that date therefore marks the end of the athenian school the church at alexandria was less influential and the city was more remote from the centre of civil power the schools there were thus suffered to continue though their existence was of a precarious character under these conditions mathematics continued to be read there for another hundred years but all interest in the study had gone roman mathematics i ought not to conclude this part of the history without any mention of roman mathematics for it was through rome that mathematics first passed into the curriculum of medieval europe and rome and in rome all modern history has its origin there is however very little to say on the subject the chief study of the place was in fact the art of government whether by law by persuasion or by those material means on which all government ultimately rests there was no doubt professors who could teach the results of greek science but there was no demand for a school of mathematics italians who wished to learn more than the elements of the science went to alexandria or to places which drew their inspiration from alexandria 
the subject as taught in the mathematical schools at rome seemed to have been confined in arithmetic to the art of calculation no doubt by the aid of the abacus and perhaps some of the easier parts of the work of nicomachus and in geometry to a few practical rules though some of the arts founded on a knowledge of mathematics especially that of surveying were carried to a high pitch of excellence it would seem also that special attention was paid to the representation of numbers by signs the manner of indicating numbers up to ten by the use of the fingers must have been in practice from quite early times but about the first century it had been developed by the romans into a finger symbolism by which numbers up to ten thousand or perhaps more could be represented this would seem to have been taught in the roman schools the system would hardly be worth notice but that its use has still survived in the persian bazaars i am not aware of any latin work on the principles of mechanics but there was numerous books on the practical side of the subject which dealt elaborately with architectural and engineering problems we may judge what they were like by the mathematici veteris which is a collection of very short treatises on catapults engines of war etc an edition was published in paris in sixteen ninety three and by the cateris written by sextus julius africanus about the end of the second century which contains amongst other things rules for finding the breadth of a river when the opposite bank is occupied by an enemy or how to signal with a semaphore etc in the sixth century bothius published a geometry containing a few propositions from euclid and an arithmetic founded on that of nicomachus and about the same time cassiodorus discussed the foundation of a liberal education which after the preliminary trivium of grammar logic and rhetoric meant the quadrivium of arithmetic geometry music and astronomy these works were written at rome in the closing years of the athenian and alexandrian schools and i therefore mention them here but as their only value lies in the fact that they have become recognized textbooks in medieval education i postpone their consideration to chapter eight theoretical mathematics was in fact an exotic study at rome not only was the genius of the people essentially practical but alike during the building of their empire while it lasted and under the goths all the conditions were unfavorable to abstract science on the other hand alexandria was exceptionally well placed to be a center of science from the foundation of the city to its capture by the mohammedans it was disturbed neither by foreign nor by civil war save for a few years when the rule of the ptolemies gave way to that of rome it was wealthy and its rulers took pride in endowing the university and lastly just as in commerce it became the meeting-place of the east and the west so it had the good fortune to be the dwelling-place alike of the greeks and of various semitic people the one race shewed a peculiar attitude for geometry the other for all science which rests on measurement here too however as time went on the conditions gradually became more unfavorable the endless discussions by the christians on theological dogmas and the increasing insecurity of the empire tending to divert men's thoughts into other channels end of the second alexandrian school 
the precarious existence and unfruitful history of the last two centuries of the second alexandrian school need no record in 632 muhammad died and within ten years his successors had subdued syria palestine mesopotamia persia and egypt the precise date on which alexandria fell is doubtful but the most reliable arab historians give december tenth six forty one a date which at any rate is correct within eighteen months with the fall of alexandria the long history of greek mathematics came to a conclusion it seems probable that the greater part of the famous university library and museum had been destroyed by christians a hundred or two hundred years previously and what remained was unvalued and neglected some two or three years after the first capture of alexandria a serious revolt occurred in egypt which was ultimately put down with great severity i see no reason to doubt the truth of the account that after the capture of the city the mohammedans destroyed such university buildings and collections as were still left it is said that when arab commander ordered the library to be burnt the greeks made such energetic protests that he consented to refer the matter to the caliph omar the caliph returned the answer as to the books you have mentioned if they contain what is agreeable with the book of god the book of god is sufficient without them and if they contain what is contrary to the book of god there is no need for them so give the orders for their destruction the account goes on to say that they were burnt in the public baths of the city and that it took six months to consume them all end of chapter five this is paul king pjk.scripts.mit.edu